the East Coast. Good morning on the West Coast and a great day to you wherever and whenever you may be listening. My name is Jason Dyes, broadcasting and podcasting live from the studio of eloquentonline.net in beautiful New Braunfels, Texas, Republic there. Oh, this is the Power Performance Podcast, the show that asks the question, if your brand were a band, would you leave the audience wanting more? The name of the episode today is BAM, it's Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. If you've ever communicated with our guest today, John Wilkening, and you say something that he agrees with or you make a great point, a lot of times he will answer with BAM. So it made a perfect title for the show today. And we're going to get to John in just a moment after the break. But first, I have been going off on these webinars and all of these terrible LinkedIn live meetings that I've been crazy enough to sit through a couple of them during the lockdown, and they are terrible. But this title takes the cake. I got uh, sent this by a guy named Chris Van. He's the manager of business development at Strategy Corps, and this is the title of the webinar he wanted me to listen to. Digital differentiation by doubling down on verticals. Folks, what does that even mean? mean. I was talking to Dr. Lawrence Peters from Austin Peay State University, and I ran that title by her, and she goes, Jason, that's just word salad. And I thought about it. That's not just word salad. That is the salad bar at a fine steakhouse with the 62 varieties of bacon bits and banana peppers and dried cranberries. That is way beyond salad and little lettuce, cucumbers, and tomatoes. What does that even mean, and why should I listen? So I called Chris yesterday to ask him and was not surprised to find out that even Chris doesn't know what that means. Strategy Corps, this is Chris. Hey, Chris. The, the webinar, you have a recording of it, you said? Yeah, I sent it to you. Yeah, well, yeah, I saw the link. Well, before I listened to it, I saw the title, The Digital Differentiation by Doubling Down on Verticals. Man, that is a mouthful. It's what, quite the alliteration, don't you think? A lot of alliterations <laughs> is what it is. But what what exactly does that even mean? A digital differentiation by... I'm sorry, are you in the car? Sounds like you're in the car. No, yeah, no, I am in the car. I'm actually parking. Uh, I, are you in the banking marketplace? Because that's my core audience, is banking. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, when, I, when I check my balance every morning on the mobile app, I consider that digital. So what is so different? Is there somebody else out there that's doing something different than that? Is someone doing it horizontally? No, no, not really. It, it, it focused more on just like, kind of like... Whoa, whoa, time out. Hold on. Time out. Time out, Chris. Okay. Time is money. You agree, right? Absolutely. Okay. I don't want to know what things are like. Stop saying like. What is it? Why should I listen to it? What is the digital differentiation? And how do you double down on verticals? It's a webinar that, that is going to give some insight on some different ways that uh, people have differentiated in the space and used it to uh, create uh, revenue, basically. Okay. If you're insane enough to listen to that webinar, uh, you've wasted your time, basically. Folks, especially, we do, we do business with banks and credit unions, but in the credit union marketplace, you guys take tremendous pride in being cooperative. You help one another out. So why listen to a webinar that makes absolutely no sense? 
offered by someone who doesn't know what it means. When you can listen to the Power Performance Podcast and our guest today, John Wilkening, the NAPQ Professional of the Year in 2019. He's the Chief Retail Officer at Notre Dame Federal Credit Union that was just named by Forbes 2020 America's Best In-State Credit Union, an award that goes to less than 4% of the 5,236 credit unions nationwide why would you ever listen to another boring, bland, stale, word salad nonsense webinar like doubling down on differentiation through verticals or whatever it was? I got vertigo just saying the title. After the break, you're going to hear from a real credit union professional about a credit union that absolutely dominated COVID-19, and we're going to do it all right after this. For over 10 years, conference quality information without the word salad and without the expense report. This is the Power Performance Podcast. Well, let's say hello to John Wilkening with Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Hey, John, how are you? I'm doing great, Jason. Thanks for having me. What an honor. You do great work. been looking forward to having you on this show. Start by telling us a bit about your career in banking. It's been very interesting. I, I, I will tell you, you know, let me say this. I, I became a banker because uh, in my middle class or lower middle class upbringing, which I think I found has helped me out greatly through my career. It's given me the gift of empathy to want to help people. And as a kid that used to sit on a bench, you know, like you would in the neighborhood with your mother, that's what we had over the unit. Uh, the landlord put out a nice wood bench, and there was a banker named, he's passed away, God bless him, Bob Strisco, at the old First, Na- uh, First Bank of Whiting. And he would, you know, a small community, he'd walk home uh, with his briefcase. And, and, and when he'd walk down the street every day, um, he said hello to everybody in the neighborhood, and, and people looked at him with such great respect that I think, it, you know, honestly, watching him come home at work from leave the office at 5.15 every night and walk in his navy blue three-piece suit, uh, I just liked the way, he, the respect he was showed, the difference he made in the community, and I, and I literally remember telling my mother, uh, when I grow up, I want to be a banker, and I want to be a banker so I can help everybody like us that doesn't have enough money, uh, and we can change lives. I mean, I literally, literally said that, and I can remember that day so well, um, and so I you know, went in a consumer finance at, at a, a great company, and I, le- I learned lending from A to Z. Uh, and about six and a half years, I crossed over to Mercantile Bank, which is one of the great community banks no longer around. I, li- I love community banks. I don't feel the rivalry with credit unions and community banks. I think we both just were set up differently, uh, and we have the same mission. Uh, and we're not the boiler rooms of Bank of America and, and Wells Fargo. We're out there trying to make a difference every single day. And I was able to get into the communities, get involved and, you know, help small businesses and, and help families cut expenses. And it just led me to more. And so then, of course, the mergers come as they come in banking, and a big bank comes in. And uh, I ran home to a community bank that was having some problems and uh, saved a lot of jobs there and got them out of trouble. Uh, very rewarding experience. And uh, went over to lead retail at the First National Bank of Illinois, another gem of a community bank. And uh, did wonderful things there, had a beautiful team that cared about the community and was making a difference. And, of course, 08 comes, and there's another merger. And uh, <laughs> yeah. I, end up, 
I end up in commercial banking, which gives me a background, you know, in retail and in commercial banking, um, which has paid great dividends to Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. My current assignment was to get that uh, balance. And I was in that role for two or three record-setting years, and I say that humbly, but I had made the crossover very successful successfully, and then one day I get an email from Tom Greif at Notre Dame Federal Credit Union, uh, one of the great visionaries of the financial services, not because he's my current boss, but just the, uh, the way he believes in the mission, the way he puts people over profit. And, uh, you know, he says, you know, I wasn't ready for you two years ago. I've been following you, uh, but I'm ready for you now. And I got the Notre Dame Federal Credit Union, uh, who had seen some challenges uh, from any regulatory standpoint back then, as many had. And uh, the lights went on, uh, Jason, in the first 70 days. I mean, it was essentially uh, the right place at the right time. I was, I was out of the game for three years, but studying and preparing and authoring new training, uh, doing consulting, and then still doing my commercial job. So when I got to Notre Dame, they got a calmer, uh, wiser, older version of me. And the team, was, the team was ready for love, and the team was ready for training. And Notre Dame has just been one heck of a run. I mean, it's uh, record after record. I mean, what can I say? Even through this pandemic, we were just so ready. Our team was so ready. Uh, so many organizations, you know, fell back, um, forfeited on revenue generation, uh, start looking at expenses. And we just set out to put our system in place and have it tested, all the things we had trained for five years and honestly, because of what it does, you know, it's not about hitting numbers. It's about affecting lives. And with this team, they are such missionaries, and that's what I call them, the missionaries. Uh, they care about changing lives. The goal is to change a life in the retail network mantra. And uh, we really see what we say, people. And during this, uh, during this pandemic, we are across the board results up 25% in every area, minimum. I tell people all the time that I think the podcast and radio captures people's charm better than video. And I think of John sitting there on that bench with his mom admiring that banker. It's why I enjoy talking to him so much because the passion is real. It's not pretend. And I think a lot of that passion and concern for the community really kicked in during COVID-19 when John and his team absolutely rocked the COVID-19 SBA PPP loan program, and I asked him how they pulled that off so amazingly. Again, I defer to Tom Greif because, honestly, we were having conversations before the pandemic was, you know, when we, we, were, we were worried about it like any good leader would be. You're trying to look into the future. Tom does that a lot more often than most. And so probably five to six weeks in an executive session, he brought it up. And then as the PPP thing started to come out, uh, we, there was no time to waste. Um, I mean, you had, the fire drill rang, and, and you just had to be ready and you run. And we were actually SBA certified, uh, but had no experience in it. And uh, so when it went live, we had to be ready. And we, for 72 hours, you know, reformed the team. Uh, I took, I have 110 employees, uh, 45, 50 of those employees uh, got them up and running and trained. Nick Matthews, the director of commercial banking, uh, uh, Adam Gill, his number two. Uh, they were ready to go. The compliance officer was doing the heavy lifting on the dot and the I's and crossing the T's. And essentially what we did was we just put together a formula. We put together a system. We've got to do this, this, and this. We broke the teams up in subgroups that were going to become experts 
in every area, and they would just hand off the entire process. Okay, I did my job. I reached out to the mender. I got them on the system. I got the documents. Uh, now I'm sending it over to audit to make sure we got everything. Uh, then we had the closers. Everything, you know, it was unbelievable. It was an experience of a lifetime, and I think you can hear my sheer excitement about it. Oh, yeah. Um, but, I mean, leaders in the credit union, Jeff Ivey, another great leader in this country over at River City in San Antonio, and the inclusive group, Pablo Felipe. Um, I mean, we were talking literally on the phone at 2.45 in the morning because there were all those system glitches, and nobody could get into the portal for the longest time. And there were so many frustrations that it scared so many people away. But we just knew that what we were doing was going to be the most important work uh, of our entire careers, because the small business is the it, you know is the salt of the earth. They employ they employ more employees at these small businesses than all these big corporations combined, and they're out there and they're employees every day in the neighborhood. And uh, you know we ended up. I, I looked today where uh, you know we're 1,145 loans closed. We broke the 180 million dollar threshold. Wow. 800 of those. 801 loans of those are at $150,000 or less, and most are much smaller, so we hit our intended market. Um, we went into communities that were not being served. Uh, we had our branch managers, our branch presidents that are out there in the neighborhoods every single day uh, reaching out. And as more money stayed available, uh, even non-members, we were just calling small businesses, literally just calling the businesses, ABC Restaurant. I know you've never <laughs> done business with us, but, but is, is your bank helping you? Because we understood right. they had 7, 10, 12 employees. Uh, so we went, we built the system, we followed the system, and there was a lot of figuring out, uh, figuring out as we go. But guess what? You can figure out stuff as you go as long as you do it in your own locker room. The members and the customers uh, and the public never understood all the angst and pain that this entire team <laughs> that literally worked from 7 in the morning to 2 in the morning for three consecutive weeks, three consecutive weeks. Um, we had we had the people. They had a, they had a diverse skill set. We trained them, built the system, and made it work. Yep. And John and his team for years had been building something to be ready for anything. And I asked him about that as well. When when, when we built it together, um, we were really focusing on a great recession like 2008 because there was so much pain to financial service employees. There was so much pain to the middle market, the small businesses. Um, they were left behind. It's never recovered. The industry's never come back for the middle market. Uh, hmm. You know, uh, they left them out there forever. The big bank said, you aren't big enough, and we can't deal with you. You saw that on retirement accounts, uh, et cetera. And, and so it was really just the, the team. The team, you know, when you ask your team to go out and chase numbers, uh, that'll last about one or two days. That's like a contest. That falls on hallow ground. That, that's actually being a mercenary. You're chasing a buck. You're chasing a goal. That's what these boiler room operations of these big organizations are doing. Uh, you know, they, they don't raise bankers in this country anymore. They raise product pushers. or They raise somebody hmm. who's a specialist in all, all areas. And my team is trained uh, in the financial physician program, which I probably tell you I authored. Uh, which is really built around financial literacy for the members. And so when a member comes and sits down, we go through their entire portfolio, and we talk, and we look for opportunities to save money. And uh, so we took that same philosophy that we have in our everyday business, uh, and it, that's what drove the team. They started to realize it, and then the love notes started coming in. The small business, yep. the tanning salon, they're sending letters, thank you, you saved our employee. Please hear me for one second. 
uh, a great dentist, uh, you know, does a lot of work in the poor communities back in Lake County of Indiana. And, uh, you know, he was getting to lay off his staff because they, of course, were being quarantined, et cetera. And the PPP program, uh, we reached out to him. And, and you know what, those four ladies kept their jobs. Uh, they didn't go to unemployment. Um, so that was the power of the PPP. Well, when you have a team of missionaries and it really reaches their heart, uh, they were inspired by what they were doing. And, and, and so they saw it both from the job saving and the businesses, and then they saw the gratitude of the businesses. They saw the gratitude of the community. So that's what really drove it was just having a team that really cares. Missionaries versus mercenaries. I follow Notre Dame Federal Credit Union on LinkedIn and other social media, and they've got a wonderful working relationship with their small business community that not every credit union has, and not that not every credit union has cared to pursue. And I asked John, do credit unions do a, need to do a better job of intentionally engaging the small business community? Absolutely. And, and, and I will say this, Jason, um, coming out is I was looking for a return to retail banking, and, and it's my passion. I mean, there is nothing like leading that team with credibility, understanding their fears and phobias. Um, we were, you know, I, was I saw what was happening in 08. I saw Mark the Market Accounting, one of the stupidest banking laws in history, where, where the big banks were just calling loans in. Uh, let me give you an example. There's a roller rink in a small working-class community uh, in Illinois, and the gentleman, uh, it's the only, the town has no business district. And, you know, the, one of the big bank, I won't name them, uh, they called the loan because it was worse on their audit rating to have it on the books. Well, I don't know about you, Jason, but I'm a crazy guy, and any loan's a good loan as long as it's, any loan's a good loan as long as it's a paying loan. And this guy had right. paid the thing down from, from $10 million to $5 million, had never missed a payment, and they called the loan on him, and, of course, nobody would pick it. And so right then and there, um, I wrote a small business initiative. For, you know, I expected I'd get my return uh, to retail banking at some point. And I said uh, the community banks and the credit unions that don't work small businesses are going to be left behind. Uh, if they're hooked up to indirect lending, you know, that, that's the problem because you're going to be dependent on the dealerships. I only deal in direct lending. Uh, so on my small business side, uh, I saw that as the opportunity. I mean, the community banks are dying, and, you know, I'm throwing credit unions out there. Um, the community banks and the credit unions are the salt of the earth that care about the neighborhoods, that care about the organizations uh, on a handshake-by-handshake basis, and these small business owners had no place to go. And so I immediately said, and I talked to so many CEOs and leaders, whether it was in a job interview or anything, and said, this is the opportunity, uh, you know, this is to diversify the portfolio, not to be tied into car dealerships, et cetera. But this middle market, these small businesses are being left behind. Nobody would lend. I mean, I can remember literally a story where a lady had a building valued in the city of Chicago for $1 million and wanted to borrow $100,000. And because the accountant had done too good a job, and I, I chastise them when they do that, um, can you imagine having 10% LTV and an 800 credit score, but you couldn't borrow 100 <laughs> grand because your accountant yeah. decided to depreciate everything out of a tax return? Um, local decision making went out the window, and so right. that's why the small bu small businesses became so great. And for us, it was bigger than that. We've even gone in the plants all three shifts: the bank at work program, our seg development. Uh, we go in the companies, and if they got three shifts. We had teams out there at 3 o'clock in the morning. So you're not only servicing 
the business and meeting those needs uh, as their banks are throwing them to the sidewalk, uh, but also the employees, which now takes it to the kitchen table. So I, if anybody is listening out there that is running a beautiful community bank, God bless you. Uh, to all the credit union, uh, my colleagues in the credit union world, please, and call me. Uh, I would walk you through it. But launch that, launch that small business initiative and get into your communities and help out these business owners because they, when they're, you know, when, when, I will say this. When America has no more community banks and America has no more credit unions and America has no more barbershops. There won't be a main street to take care of. John's passion for people and his brand is self-evident, and he sent me an email yesterday saying, hey, there's something else I'm passionate about, and that is the lack of retail leadership in American banking, and I asked him about that as well. You know, for honestly, for honestly, through my career coming up through banking, it was always, well, they're just the branches. I mean, they, you know, and everybody that's listening to your show knows that's true. Um, you know, that's just the branches. And they would give them more work to do, more operational work. They would load work from the uh, back rooms, and then they'd wonder why they didn't uh, help enough people, uh, generate enough revenue. And, and, and I, I've been arguing against that my entire career, that if you give people less to do, uh, you empower them, and then you hold them in co- accountable to the things that you're training and looking for and that worked on. But retail banking, and, and, and believe me, I, I could I, – I, I, a bank president who's no longer a bank president that called me probably way too late in her career, uh, you know, ran a great community bank, and they weren't growing. And we were having a conversation on the phone, and I said, you know, you need to change your retail leadership model. Uh, and she did. And, and what, what we're talking about actually happened. Uh, but it's all over. I mean, you know, even the credit unions that are more advanced in their business development techniques, sales cultures, use it. I don't like to use those terms, honestly. I like to change a life a day and, and try to make people better. Nice. Um, but they go to these big banks for leadership, and what they got was the jockey. You know, what they got was somebody who beat the Wells Fargo system. Now we all know how they beat that system, and they made it up to right. district manager or regional manager. And now all they've got, because they didn't walk it, they didn't talk it, they didn't live it, and all they do is put heat on people to push things that people don't need. Again, we can use the Wells Fargo example. I'm not going to take it easy on them. They earned that the old-fashioned way. And the other thing is with that nut. And and so we go out, we hire branch administrators. We hire, uh, the CEOs are foolishly hiring retail leaders that that live in an ivory tower uh, that take attendance, that read reports, and then, you know, put heat on people. And what you need is a retail person that has lived it. I love to tell my team, you're not a retail banker uh, until, you're, until you're on your tummy at 7.30 in the morning opening up a night drop with the beautiful Norma <laughs> Douglas, was, you know, was uh, in her 70s and 40 years of experience, and I would hand the bags up to her. Those moments stay with me forever. John told me about a conversation he had with the credit union CEO about the challenges of finding people with the right kind of retail leadership. And he said there's probably only 10 really great people in the entire country for that. And then he said something that I will never forget when it comes to retail leadership in the banking marketplace. The one thing we can't fake in retail banking is experience, and you need to see it from all the personnel, the challenges, wow. the recessions, and, and how you lead your team. So they're hiring branch administrators, and then they're hiring – and another thing I like to say, Jason, I'm on my roll now, but i got to get it out because it's been <laughs> up in me. Absolutely. They, they, 
They hire retail leaders that hire people, okay, with layers of management. Now, I have, uh, I have directors, three or four of them reporting to me. But, you know, I've authored all my own training. I don't pay vendors. I, my, my training is based on the needs of the organization and things that I thought were pertinent. And, you know, if you, what you've got, a high-priced salary on the executive team, uh, is somebody that's, you know, hiding behind regional managers, district managers, the whole train-the-trainer stuff. We heard all that malarkey for so long. Uh, it doesn't work. But when the chief retail officer or the retail leader walks in, and, and you know, I love to a ask the question, who likes to sell? And people raise their hand, and then I call them fibbers. <laughs> Nobody does. Um, does. You're trying to help people, and so we throw that out there. But there is. There's a retail leadership crisis in banking and in credit unions that can no longer be ignored. And John is right about that as well. And he thinks that the uh, momentum is changing a little bit. And then he told me about how when he was 29 years old, he started thinking about this and keeping notes at branch managers' meetings. And he wrote it all down in something called a need tablet, M-E-A-D, uh, like a binder tablet. Let's give the millennials a second to Google need tablet. But what I did was I started a Mead tablet that day, and I wrote down, I started right then at 29 years old, writing down that if I was ever to lead a retail group, I would consult my tablet. So every time a decision of change or anything was made, I actually wrote it in this tablet. Now, this tablet, uh, I'm showing my age here, this tablet is now six Mead tablets uh, wide, and it's being, held together, it's being held together with kite string and Wonder Bread wraps, true story, and it's covered in coffee. My team sees it, and they couldn't believe it when I told them this is, I have kept notes on every decision that I have seen made wrong or what I like, and, and I, I, I consult that like it's my Bible on a retail decision so many times so I can understand what the team's thinking. So the real crisis is CEOs, if you're listening, you need to hire yourself somebody that's going to roll up their sleeves, go out to your branches, go into your call center that can train people and not hire a vendor uh, because those vendors are just great presenters. And sometimes they're not even that. John went on to say, you know, a vendor that comes in to teach you how to sell more stuff doesn't know a lot about your operation, doesn't know what it's like when you get two people out sick and it's a branch that has four or five people. They don't understand the ins and outs of your culture and your audience. And so you can tell John is very, very passionate about this. And then he asked me a question about the ever-present sales culture. Jason, I want to ask you a question. How long has uh, banking and credit union world been talking about a sales culture? As long as I've been in banking, when I was first hired to be a sales and service trainer at Norwest Banks, which became the reviled Wells Fargo after I left the bank. They've been talking about it a long time, and the same problems still persist. And it's still where it was. And stuff in very rare places has it changed. So there's my soapbox on that. But boy, do we have a retail <laughs> banking crisis. John and I agreed on potentially a forthcoming show just about that. But before we let him go, I had to ask him, because you see it every time you communicate with John, where did the BAM come from? It did not start uh, until I got the Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. It was just so fun. And, uh, you know, you saw this team that was so ready to be trained. They were, so, they were so ready for love. They were so ready for a great culture. They were so ready for empowerment. And, you know, somebody uh, did something great one day, and my response was, bam. And Rick Burden, our chief strategic officer, sent out a big, you know, cartoon of a bam like you'd see on Batman. Um, yes. 
and and it just kind of caught on. So BAM to me equates everything good. That means I can be a, which I'm not as you're talking to me. I'm man a few words, but if you get a BAM, you've done something pretty significant. You've made a mark, and uh, it's, it's you know it's it's kind of run through our culture. Well, one million BAMs to Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. As I said earlier, they had the distinct honor of being named one of Forbes 2020 America's Best In-State Credit Unions. Again, very, very rare. Less than 4% make that list out of the over 5,200 credit unions in America. And BAM to John for being so open and so forthcoming. Our relationship actually started on LinkedIn as a disagreement. But unlike so many of the millennials today, he didn't hide behind an emoticon. He wasn't a keyboard warrior. He called me. We talked on the phone. We talked it out. We've become friends because that's what grown-ups and that's what professionals do. And I thanked him so much for joining us on the show. Jason, God bless you. Keep fighting a good fight. You've got a great message out there. You're making a, dis- you're making a difference in our business. And I, it was an honor to be on your show and have me back anytime. Absolutely. John Wilson, everybody. How good is this now, Even while I was recording and editing the show, John sent me another email with the ever-present BAM in the text of the email, and then attached was the loan numbers, the SBA PPP loan program that they're doing. Folks, compare John and his passion and his understanding with the young gentleman we had on early in the show, and there is no comparison. At a credit union, your employee's time is your members' money. Stop wasting it on nonsense like doubling down on digital differentiation for toss in some croutons, word salad, to go nonsense. Rely on other banking professionals who have done it because, as John said, and I'll never forget it, you can't fake experience. And while so many of the credit union leadership has been out there for 25 years wasting their time on the banks' banks are bad mantra at the 4,000 credit union events you attend every year, John and his team have been preparing for what's next. And when COVID-19 was the what next, they were ready. We've got some great shows coming up in July. I spoke today to... Brian Heinrichs, he is the president of Fourth Capital Bank. They've gone through a name change and a rebrand. Folks, check out their website. One of the most beautifully cinematic introductions to a banking brand that I've seen since the 56K modem was invented. This is absolutely beautiful. You want your brand to soar over the competition Go look at their website, and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. We're going to have Brian on coming up in July talking about his beautiful, elegant banking brand and all the great stuff that they're doing. Uh, we've got Matt West coming up from Copper Clean. Talk about a brand. It was kind of on the shelf. Um, copper finishings. Uh, COVID-19 can't live on copper, apparently. So talk about a brand that was ready for what's next. Folks, history is. The history that we've all shared, COVID-19 is and you can change with it or you can get changed by it and here on the power performance podcast we're bringing you people that are changing with it and are evolving and building wonderful beautiful functional intentionally engaging banking brands and if you want to cure your insomnia go listen to some of these other webinars and watch these linkedin live meetings but here 
you get the real deal because, once again, you can't fake experience. John Wilkening told me that his favorite band is U2, and I told him that if it weren't for the band Rush, U2 would be the greatest band ever. So let's get out of here with some U2. Happy Fourth of July, everybody. We'll be back in a couple of weeks, and we'll talk to you very, very soon. Take care. Don't you look back?